All right, everybody, Dr. Eric, the fitness physician, and I got another episode of the Relentless Vitality Podcast. I'm super pumped to have a very like-minded and cool, excellent, and talented physician on the show, uh, Dr. Jack Wolfson. He is a board-certified cardiologist, and he, like myself, stresses the importance of lifestyle, nutrition, supplementation. He's got an extensive background in the world of cardiology, where he was a chief fellow at his own cardiology program and has taken the, to a whole nother level down in Arizona. He's been Chairman of Medicine, Director of Cardiology, and Director of Cardiac Rehabilitation. He was one of Arizona's top docs in 2011, and he's since founded his program called Natural Heart Doctor. He does everything related to holistic heart care, virtually and in person, and he's doing an amazing job up there. So, Jack, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks so much, Dr. Eric. A pleasure being on, and uh, yeah, I look forward to sharing this information with uh, with your tribe, my tribe, anybody who wants to listen you want to listen great if you don't want to listen you know we'll see you later but uh <laughs> I, I think we i think we got some good information for everybody for sure absolutely absolutely so i heard jack on another podcast and as you know he kind of has a similar but different background as me i was in the world of emergency medicine and just seeing people sick and infirm and i saw how everything a lot of this could be turned around with paying attention to how you eat and how you exercise and how you take care of your body as naturally just op, you know, lifestyle optimization and Jack does the same thing. So he has a great motto, which I love eat well, live well, think well, it's just fantastic. I love that. So, um, yeah, man. So Jack, just tell me real quick. Um, I guess maybe, you know, I've talked to my audience about, you know, where I was in ER, how I got into preventive health, maybe just a quick background, how you created, um, you know, the heart doc, and then we'll dive into the world of uh, heart disease and cholesterol and all that good stuff. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, listen, you know, and certainly as an ER doc, you know, listen, God bless the men and women who work in emergency rooms and trauma centers is always a place for them. But I would assume, you know, you go into medicine to help people and, uh, you know, somebody comes into your emergency room and they're having a heart attack and you're like, okay, well, listen, here's your aspirin, here's your emergency meds, you know, and I call the cardiologist and they're going to take you to the cath lab and they're going to do an angiogram, angioplasty and, you know, take care um, and so often I would hear a lot of these emergency room doctors that would very quickly get attached to these people in the emergency room and go visit them later on in their hospital stay. But one has to obviously think about why did this happen to that individual person and how can one prevent that in the future? And obviously that's where I think that's where things took, you know, where, where you went. Uh, and that's ultimately where I went. Like, why, why are these things happening to people? And my muse for that or my inspiration was meeting my wife. I met my wife in late uh, 2004. So coming up on 20 years and she, I would say, pulled me out of the medical matrix. She woke me up to reality. And the reality was, was that I was in the largest group in the state of Arizona. I was on my way to being a senior partner in that group. And I was prescribing yeah. a lot of pharmaceuticals, a lot of surgical procedures, angioplasty, stents, pacemakers, all this kind of stuff, making a lot of money doing it. But uh, when she opened up my eyes with these initial conversations, it was like, am I really helping people? Am I really making a difference? Um, am I, you know, and, and then you look at it and you're like, wait a second, people are on all these different pharmaceuticals. They feel lousy. The benefits are trivial at best. And the hospital is a revolving door, right? People come in through your emergency room and we put in a stent, we tune them up, we send them out. But then three months later, they come back in more chest pain, another heart attack, side effects of pharmaceuticals. They're in congestive heart failure. And we all went into medicine, I believe, to, you know, to truly help people. And then when you look at it, you're like, okay, are we really, you know, are we extending lives? Are we making people's lives better? Are we preventing cancer, heart disease? So ultimately, I would decide no. I would leave that big cardiology group eventually in 2012. It took me some time to step away. Uh, but again, that was uh, that was 11 years ago. And uh, super happy to be on, on the path that we're at. And, and sometimes it's not a popular path, but it's the right path. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. No, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I, and I agree hundred percent with what you said. So, um, you know, I definitely want to talk to you about some, some diagnostics and we'll talk about lifestyle. Of course, everybody's always, of course, asking about the, you know, the, the animal, the, the elephant in the room, right? Let's, let's talk about cholesterol and the deep dive there because there's still so much, I feel like so much misinformation. And as you and I both know that statins are, I feel way overprescribed. I see so many people on them and they <laughs> probably don't need to be on it. And I, they have a, they have a place, a time and a place, but uh, you know, we know the world of politics and economics. So, uh, you know, we could talk about statins, but uh, I, biggest thing is like, you know, let's talk about cholesterol and all the numbers. I mean, me personally, I always do a more of a deep dive. I always get the advanced uh, panels on my patients, APOA, APOB, you know, LPA, um, so on and so forth. So I'd love to get your take on the whole cholesterol dogma, I guess, and we can dig in a little bit on the numbers, how to, how to optimize them. 
Uh, yeah, definitely want to talk about that. I definitely want to circle back on statins because I've not written a prescription for statin drugs in over 10 years and I never will. Um, so I will disagree with you and hopefully you'll agree with me at the end of this conversation about time and a place. But um, I mean, that being said, I mean, you're right. You know, cholesterol has, uh, uh, that's why every animal on planet earth has cholesterol. That's why mother's breast, you know, breast milk has cholesterol. Why cow's milk has cholesterol because those are those are the foods that the uh, young animal needs to eat in order to thrive. Cholesterol has been vilified by the pharmaceutical companies. Yet again, every animal has it. So the cholesterol is, is part of every cell. It's part of every cell membrane. It makes a strong cell fence uh, in order to let things in the cell that belong, keep things outside of the cell that don't belong. Sunshine hits the skin, turns cholesterol coursing through the skin, through the vessels in the skin, turns it into vitamin D. Cholesterol is the base molecule for all of our sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. Cholesterol is, of course, important in the digestion. It's made by the liver, put into the gallbladder, squeeze it on top of food, emulsify fats. Um, it's actually so important that the body has what's called enterohepatic circulation to reabsorb cholesterol later on down the road, you know, in the, in the right. distal intestines. So there's so many different values to that cholesterol uh, particle. So we should celebrate that. And then the next thing, you know, once we understand, okay, cholesterol is beneficial, then we should understand according to 1970s data about optimal total cholesterol which is in that range of 160 to 260. That's the optimal range. Above 260, higher risk of dying. Below 160, higher risk of dying. So the sweet spot for total cholesterol, according to Framingham data, Mr. Fit trial, appears to be 160 to 260. But to your point, uh, now let's talk about the other the, the particles, the LDL of which they call the bad. HDL is good. Again, that's pure pharmaceutical company speak. Uh, of how we even developed uh, the bad and the good. LDL has a purpose, again, which is why all mammals on planet Earth have, have LDL. HDL, same thing. There could be good LDLs. There could be bad LDLs, good HDLs, bad HDLs. So it's they, they try and oversimplify it in order to push their pharmaceutical agenda, which is incorrect. And then to your point, ApoB, ApoA ratio, that's much more prognostic as far as, okay, well, this is the risk of you having an event. Uh, LP little a is a very important genetic uh, particle uh, that people should know if they have that yet 90% of cardiologists are not testing for that. And here's Dr. Eric and Dr. Jack, and we're testing for that. Um, and then again, even much more so important than the lipids are the markers of inflammation because the lipids are reacting to inflammation, to injury, to toxins. So you have abnormal lipid uh, production and uh, hepatic uptake when you have uh, a toxic burden and a toxic liver. So again, all these things are to be embraced. They're all to be optimized. And then statin drugs are not, uh, are not the answer. And I'm happy to uh, expand on that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we talk about status real quick, what's your take on, cause I, I, and I know you do too, but I see this a lot in terms of always addressing like how do you address, how do you optimize, you know, particle size? Obviously people have a lot of small particles or their HDL is low, which is always better to be high. Although the outcome studies have proven, you know, it's kind of questionable there. Maybe you could dig into that a little bit, but I always see high triglycerides, small particles and low HDL. And those are the three I focus on the most. Um, I don't worry too much about LDL um, like we, like you just mentioned, but I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah. So, you know, we can talk about, obviously, the, everything starts with, as you mentioned earlier in your intro, right? The concept of eat well, live well, think well, eat the right foods, avoid the wrong foods, get the sunshine, the sleep, the physical activity, the movement, get away from the environmental toxins. And the toxins really in a toxic lifestyle uh, really leads to inflammation, oxidative stress. And when you have inflammation, oxidative stress, LDL and HDL particles come allegedly to the rescue uh, because they're antioxidant molecules. They have a tremendous immune uh, modulating role to those, uh, which is why they become oxidized because oxidized LDL uh, takes on a part of that oxidative process to help, uh, you know, recycle uh, other antioxidants, whether it's glutathione, vitamin C, vitamin E, etc. So there's a, a lot of different facets uh, of that. But, you know, to your point, are there evidence-based supplements that we could utilize to naturally modify the profile? The answer is yes. And really what the goal is there different from the statins, the way the statins work is that they inhibit the production of cholesterol and therefore LDL particles. 
that's not what our goal is because nobody has an overproduction of those. What we do have is that we have damaged LDL particles and we have a decreased clearance of LDL out of circulation. So things like berberine, things like resveratrol, things like curcumin, silymarin, ginger, uh, quercetin, those all have a role in increasing hepatic clearance of old LDL particles and also have a role in reducing the oxidative stress on the LDL particles. So that's really one goal of some of these evidence-based supplements because people would accuse us of saying, hey, if you're not using statins, to reduce lipids because you don't think they're warranted, then why are you using natural remedies to reduce lipids if you don't think it's a problem? Well, again, I think it's a problem, but I believe it deserves a natural solution, not a pharmaceutical solution that I believe is extremely deleterious. Uh, all of our natural remedies do not contain fluoride, yet statins do. So um, you know, th that's just one example of what the problem is. And uh, our, our natural remedies are also, uh, they're subtle and supportive of the body as opposed to statin drugs, which are taking the uh, a machine gun, you know, to a verbal battle, if you will, to kind of use that, uh, you know, metaphor. And then finally, when you, you know, you mentioned HDL and a lot of times HDL, uh, increasing HDL gets a lot of condemnation, but the original HDL raising trial was on niacin. And that was the Coronary Drug Project. And Coronary Drug Project actually showed a markedly improved mortality benefit in the people who were taking niacin. Now, trials since then were either done with niacin in combination with a statin, showing um, no effect of the niacin, so therefore don't use niacin. But the problem is, again, that population was on a statin. So if you're talking to the person who is not on a statin, niacin is still very, very beneficial. And the other thing that recently put niacin into the you know coffin of the medical doctors, if you will, you know, getting it out of their toolbox, was uh, a study called Improve It. And Improve It used uh, niacin in combination with a pharmaceutical designed to get rid of flushing called uh, laropriprant. So they extrapolate the data to say there's no benefit, yet niacin was combined with this drug and the majority of people, you know, were, were still on statins. So you really cannot extrapolate that to the person who is eating well, living well, thinking well, taking evidence-based supplements. I just don't think that information applies. Now, that being said, I don't use a ton of time-release niacin. I use it in people who do have elevated LP, LP little a because it does help to reduce LPA uh, numbers. And then also people where maybe diet and lifestyle are not controlling triglycerides. Uh, and we're seeing that issue there as well. So th that's where I'll use niacin. It's not that I use it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with the, like, as you mentioned, with the triglycerides and, you know, that's the other thing that comes up a lot too, trying to raise HDL or lower the small particles, you know, like, as you mentioned, like berberine, niacin, you know, fish oils, things like that. Those are th some of the things that have kind of in the toolbox, at least that I've tried a few other things too. So yeah, I was curious to get your take on that. Um, well, I mean, I mean, Eric, if I can, I want to, you know, expand on that a little bit, you know, I mean, you know, triglycerides are definitely, it's not that they're a problem. There's a sign that there's a problem. And that's often what it, re what it really means with lipids as well, is that it means there's a sign of the problem. So when you have elevated, the higher the triglycerides, the higher your risk. And certainly at a certain point, as you know, it could lead to pancreatitis. Um, so, you know, there definitely is, is, um, you know, a very importance of getting that number down for a whole variety of reasons. So time-release niacin can lower the number down. Um, and omega-3 fish oil has been proven to lower it down. But I tell people, whenever people ask on social media, best ways to lower triglycerides, number one, eat more seafood. Yeah. Eat the seafood. And then number two, decrease the carbs, decrease the sugar, decrease the alcohol, yep. uh, decrease the starchy carbs. And that will invariably improve numbers down as well. Uh, there's been recent literature about omega-3 fish oil, increased risk of atrial fibrillation. Um, I believe that that could be true. So in general, I tend to stay away from the use of omega-3 fish oil and just push people to eat the fish or encapsulated supplements. And actually what we developed in our, in our company are two products. One is called the Whole Fish, which is the freeze-dried sardine, wild sardine, uh, freeze-dried. 
pulverized and put into a capsule. So you get the mouth to the, to the tail, uh, getting all the organs and everything from that fish. And we had a third party tested. There's no uh, BPA. So there's none of these microplastics people we could be concerned about. The, the metals burden is very low as you would expect from a sardine. And then the other product is called Wild Salmon Row. And that is the uh, you know Pacific uh, salmon row encapsulated. And I would say, Eric, that there are no healthier foods than those two on the planet. We put them into a capsule and uh, that really, I think, you know, brings into food is medicine. So I, I tell people, listen, I mean, again, eat the food, eat the yeah. food all day long. But if you're not interested in eating the food, you don't get enough of the food, you don't like the food, there's problems with your ability to obtain the food, then the capsule version is good and I believe better than fish oil. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I love that. I, and I'm with you. I'm a big fan of just, I always tell people said, just eat the, eat the food and yeah, the supplements are there if you can't or don't want to, or don't like the taste or whatever, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, I'm a big fan of that as well. So no, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, well, awesome, man. Well, let's, uh, I want to talk to you. I do want to ask you some questions about like, um, you know, uh, prevention and scoring CT, you know, coronary scans, et cetera. I definitely want to talk about that because that comes up a lot in with the conversations with patients. Um, and you know, again, for people listening and I've talked about this, and I know you have too, in terms of, I, I always say, look, it's not the cholesterol. Like you said, it's, it's there for a reason. There's all, it's almost always inflammation or some kind of toxic process going on. That's why you're cholesterol is off so instead of lowering your cholesterol let's find the source of inflammation and fix it um you know it's probably crap in the food or emf or you know you know some type of uh, vitamin deficiency or you're not sleeping or whatever that's the that's the hard part takes figuring that out so i just want to for everybody listening out there i know i've railed on this before but it sounds like i know you're saying the same thing so just so people understand where we're headed with this it's not the cholesterol it's a, it's a good thing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really, it's, I mean, you know, the body's not making mistakes, you know, I mean, the body is just, a re you know, reacting to what we're giving it. So yeah. when we're not, you know, following eat well, live well, think well, uh, you know, the body's just trying to deal with that, you know, it's almost like cancer is not a mistake, you know, cancer is happening for a reason. Um, and that's what we have to look into as far as like, you know, what is causing that. But, you know, you brought up uh, CT scans initially. Uh, and I'm very anti-CT scan. I'm very anti-radiation. I believe radiation is one of the things that killed my father at the age of 63 mm -hmm. from a rare Parkinson's-like illness. So uh, you know, whenever we do a test, we want to know how is it going to change the results. Right. So if you get a coronary CT scan and shows coronary calcification, what are you going to do differently? Right. So if you believe that it's going to change what you do. So if you say, well, if your CT scan shows a score of zero, then we'll continue as planned. Uh, if it shows elevated coronary calcium, then we're going to recommend the stat. Well, I'm not going to recommend the stat. I'm not going to recommend an aspirin. So that's not going to change what I do. Um, if someone has coronary calcification, is that motivational to them? Uh, I guess so. But I would rather motivate people about, hey, look in the mirror. Hey, look at your family. Hey, uh, you know, look at your numbers on a piece of paper from a non-invasive, non-radiation-based test. Um using those as motivational factors as opposed to if you're not motivated by those if you're not motivated by looking in the mirror if yeah. you're not motivated by looking at the numbers the sheer numbers of the number one killer worldwide or your personal numbers i'm not sure what's going to motivate you uh ct scans and, and just the same error too is that they can provide a false sense of security like my score is a zero so i can keep doing what i'm doing uh and i think that's a, you know, a problem as well because you could die still from heart disease but you could die of cancer or dementia or autoimmune disorders and still have normal uh, coronary uh, you know, scans. So not a fan of it. I think in general, it is really most utilized by cardiologists because it's a, you know, what they would say is a lost leader, right? They don't make any money from the coronary CT scan, but then when they find abnormalities, now it leads to a stress test that's not necessary. Now it needs to other procedures, office visits, repeat scans, and none of it's useful. You're not, you're not, if you have patients that are higher risk or have had a history, you're not doing scans or recommending heart casts like you used to do, et cetera. No, no. I mean, again, we did it because it was very lucrative. You know, I mean, a lot of that behavior that we did uh, was very lucrative and we could talk about that all day long, but that's just quite obvious. Again, uh, doctors, doctors have been proven to prescribe pharmaceuticals because they received a free pen. I know you went through medical training residency, you know, and, and I went through the same and, uh, uh, you know, again, the, the, the pharmaceutical industry, multi-trillion dollar industry, yep. uh, statin drugs, number one selling class of drugs of all time, and they're a total fraud. Uh, but 
Yeah, you know, to that end, I, I just I, I, I think there's better ways to look at people as far as their risk. You know, let's look at these advanced lipids. Let's look at markers of inflammation. Let's look at homocysteine, LP little a, intracellular vitamins, minerals, glutathione, omega-3, CoQ10. And let's look for these environmental toxins. And if we can fix up those and we can improve their lipids and their inflammation and all the vitamins and minerals and glutathione and all these things we check for, that's the solution. Um, yep. Absolutely. Which is very exciting. It's very exciting and very empowering. And I know you feel the same way. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. So let's uh, let's dig in and, and attack the big boys. I definitely want to talk. Let's talk about statins and aspirin because I know that comes up all the time. You know, I think, um, you know, we, whichever one you want to tackle first. I mean, I, you know, it's amazing when, you know, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Ruse, is a big in the world of hormones, but more bio, you know, natural treatments and, you know, presented all the studies on statins. You know, primary prevention is, you know, the the, the any benefit is like, way less than 1%. I mean, it's, and then you have the, what, a 30% risk of cancer and 20 something percent risk of diabetes, you know, all these different, it just blew, blew my mind the first time I heard that years and years ago. So yeah, feel free to unload on, uh, give me your take on everything <laughs> for our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you just, you know, kind of briefly summed it up, you know, there really is that when you look at the overall literature, I mean, we're not even talking about side effects. Let's just talk about benefits first. Um, you know, the, the, the alleged benefits, according to the people who are doing the trials, which everybody needs to understand, all the trials are sponsored by pharma. Pharma is tied into everything. So the results have to be skewed in some way towards pharma. But at least according to their literature, for primary prevention, so somebody who's never had a cardiac event, they uh, they provide a benefit of of heart you know myocardial infarction reduction of about 0.2 percent on an annual basis, stroke reduction less than 0.1 percent, and the mortality benefit of around 0.1 percent for primary prevention. So, what what that means is that a thousand people need to take drug for one year every single day in order to save one life according to their literature. Mm -hmm. So this should never be a scenario where a patient is getting uh, criticized, pressured, admonished into taking the pharmaceutical drug statin, where a doctor would say, hey, take this drug or you're going to have a heart attack. Take this drug or you're going to die, because that would be uh, highly, highly, highly incorrect. Uh, doctors are very good bullies. They're very good at peer pressure. Uh, and it's and it's really unfortunate uh, that doctors behave that way. Secondary prevention for people who've already had a heart attack, they've already had a stroke, they've already had coronary disease, bypass surgery, stent or whatever. The data in the favor of statins gets a little bit better, uh, but only again, a little bit better as far as uh, heart attack reduction. It's about 0.5% annually. Uh, uh, mortality 0.2, stroke less than 0.2. So are there benefits according to them? The answer is yes. But ultimately, Dr. Eric, what I would say is that it's not about how do we reduce someone's risk of dying from uh, uh, 2% to 1.84%. It's about how do we reduce their annual risk of dying to 0%. They don't do that. And Eric, you and I do. That's what's exciting about it. So um, if people want the standard, if people want, hey, listen, you know, life expectancy for a male in the United States, 78 years old, I'll take that with the last five years being in and out in hospitals and nursing homes. If you want that, then stay with the medical system. If you want the 100 year heart, the 100 year brain, 100 year body, that's what you and I are talking about. That's what we want to offer to people. We know they don't offer that. And I believe that we do through our common sense methodologies. That's awesome. Love that answer. And I, it's so, so spot on. Um, I would like, what about like patients? This is something that popped in my head um, when I was getting ready to talk to you was like, um, well, two things. One, the first one would be like, so what about so you have patients like, for example, I have a family member, you know, someone who has like uh, familial hypercholesterolemia, you know, super healthy, active, everything we've been talking about, but their numbers are still through the roof. Never had an issue. But, you know, of course, people are gonna say, well, they need to be on, those are the people that need a stat. And I'm like, I still I still doubt that, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, you know, familial hyperlipidemia is really like a one in 200 to 250 person diagnosis. It's not, it's not that common. Uh, and again, that's data from Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, that's out of mainstream literature. So a lot of times people talk about this familial hyperlipidemia, and these are the people with total cholesterol is around 400, you know, for example. Um, I've seen a lot of those people with extensive coronary artery disease. I've seen a lot of those people with zero coronary artery disease, like zero. 
And, uh, you know, ultimately, I mean, that means, again, that, you know, we do have a choice on this. There's many other factors that go into it. And in that scenario, it's not a problem of overproduction of the lipids. It is a problem with clearance of LDL particles. And that is a problem with the uh, a genetic mutation of the LDL receptor or the apolipoprotein B uh, protein on the surface of the LDL particle. So those are, are genetic SNPs in those particular areas. So can we upgrade the LDL receptors and the hepatic clearance? I think there's definitely strategies to do that, you know, obviously inside of Eat Well, Live Well, Think Well. And then of course, through evidence-based supplements such as berberine, for example, berberine would be great at increasing LDL receptor uh, uptake uh, and, and utilization. So those are the strategies that I would use for those people. But I, I think ultimately it should preserve, you know, uh, it should be more motivational for people to say, hey, listen, you do have familial hyperlipidemia. Your risk is higher. So you really have to buy into this lifestyle even more so than other people. And, you know, and again, and that means you need to pay much more attention to the sunshine, because what if you take all that excess LDL and then all the excess cholesterol with it and turn it all into vitamin D? Do that particular strategy. Uh, do things that really accentuate the ability of the liver to be healthy, including parasympathetic lifestyle, parasympathetic maneuvers in order to allow for the cleansing and detoxification of the body. Maybe that's a role for more fiber where you can decrease the enterohepatic circulation of uh, you know, said, you know, cholesterol particles. So there's a lot of natural ways to do it. I just don't believe that statins uh, are, are part of that process. No, that's a great answer. I love that. And I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm with you uh, on that as well. hundred um, percent. Yeah, I agree. And I tell people that too, about the risk, you know, and of course, you know, you probably heard this too, is, you know, especially people that have had an issue or have plaque or had an event, they're like, well, you know, of course you probably heard, you know, again, it's like, well, it has all these anti-inflammatory benefits and all these other, not just about lowering the cholesterol. I'm like, well, there's other ways to do that naturally. I, I don't buy into that, but you know, you hear that from, of course, from, from big pharma and from the docs and, you know, about, about statins, you know, all the other benefits besides lowering the cholesterol. And, and I'm kind of doubtful of that, but um, I think there's better ways to do it. Well, I think, you know, you're talking about the pleiotrophic effects of, of statins, right. And how it yeah. may be anti platelet, anti-proliferative, uh, improves endothelial function, uh, lowers inflammation, lowers oxidative stress uh, and, and all those things yeah, to your point, they, they may be true as far as the alleged mechanism of statins, but here's the problem. We know the outcomes data. So whatever, whatever, whatever they say, do, it does. It doesn't do much. It doesn't yeah. do much, and it doesn't do anything meaningful. And I believe it also leads to a sense of complacency, where statin drugs lead to a sense of complacency. Where I've said statin drugs are responsible for kill, killing millions of people because doctors like you and I have historically said, "Take a Lipitor and eat whatever you want, live however you want, doesn't matter." And unfortunately, that was just a really, really false, you know, promise and prophecy of people. So uh, again, by leading to that sense of of you know false sense of security, I think it's just a you know highly highly problematic. And to your point, there are many different ways to improve endothelial function and anti-platelet, anti-smooth muscle, anti-proliferative, uh, you know, inflammation, oxidative stress, but, you know, by going after, uh, you know, the cause uh, of that. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. What, what if you have, have you, uh, you feel, are you able to reverse plaque or, or slow down the process? If you have someone who comes to you and they've already had disease or had an event, you know, I, you know, for what, how many decades ago Linus Pauling had his protocol for different, uh, you know, amino acids and vitamins, et cetera, to reverse plaque. There's, you know, a lot of other things. What have, what have you done in that situation? How do you deal with that? Yeah. You know, so the Linus Pauling protocol that was based on amino acids, as you said, uh, lysine and proline mm -hmm. as they uh, improve the collagen matrix and therefore would improve uh, the, the, the endothelium, the intima, the media, and adventitia, basically the entire blood vessel. And what Pauling thought was that it was, it was deficiency of these amino acids, also a deficiency of vitamin C, which is involved in the cross-linking there. And vitamin C is, a, of course, a famous 
uh, antioxidant as well. So what he thought was excess oxidative stress in the blood vessel lining that would lead to disease, what he would call a form of focal scurvy, where there was a vitamin C deficiency. And I think that ultimately that vitamin C would be a Band-Aid approach, although a better Band-Aid approach than, than pharmaceuticals, but still a matter of, okay, well, what's leading to that oxidative stress in the blood vessel? That's really what's, what's critical. But nonetheless, if you test people's vitamin C levels, uh, and you could do that on a on a uh, serum and also intracellular basis. And you find that those are low. If you find the amino acids are low, then there's a time and a place to either supplement those or increase their their you know, intake from from food. Uh, you know, but ultimately the uh, you know that that blood vessel health is paramount. Also, what comes into play there is uh, is copper, and copper sometimes has been vilified even in natural circles. But uh, copper is a cofactor for an enzyme called lysyl oxidase, and lysyl oxidase is involved in the cross-linking of that collagen matrix. So uh, there's there, there's many other you know vitamins and minerals that are involved in that whole process, mm-hmm. but. You know, ultimately, there's many, it just kind of goes into what is causing the disease. And what the doctors are typically doing is they're trying to band-aid the disease as opposed to figuring out what the cause is. And as I've said five times, and you've repeated it as well, right? The violations of eat well, live well, think well. But I would love to... Uh, just kind of throw this out there to everyone who's listening that one of the violations of live well is living with environmental toxins and the famous toxins of course are things like mercury and lead and cadmium and radon gas and as you mentioned environmental toxins are electromagnetic fields right where people are sleeping with their iphone and you know there's they got the smart meter and they're next to the power outlet and they got a cell phone tower next to their house and uh, the wi-fi router I mean, I mean all these things of emf which i think are ultimately all extremely problematic But I would say out of all the environmental toxins we can think of, there is one that's most dangerous. And that one thing that is most dangerous is mold. Mold, the fungus from water damage in a home, I believe is the single biggest source of chronic disease that we see today. And the number of doctors, Eric, who understand that uh, certainly, I'll, I'll speak to the cardiologists. I, I mean, again, I can't even think of one who understands that uh, at this uh, at, at this time. And it's interesting that when you think about mold versus these other environmental toxins, uh, it is more sinister because lead, arsenic, cadmium, aluminum, uh, radon, EMF, air pollution, plastics, all these things, right? I mean, m- millions of chemicals. They do not have the deliberate intent to injure. So uh, mercury in an amalgam or in a vaccine or lead in a paint does not have the deliberate um, awareness uh, to to injure. Mold does. Mold is a living, breathing organism that wants to survive and it wants to get rid of things in its environment that may be um, uh, competitors to the mold. So we think about what is penicillin? Well, penicillin is a mold mycotoxin that comes from mold that is used by the mold penicillium to kill off other fungus and bacteria that inhibit. So that was discovered in the 1920s and penicillin is used as a pharmaceutical to kill bacteria, but it is a mold mycotoxin. Another one that I'm sure you're familiar with is a pharmaceutical called Cellcept. Mm-hmm. And Cellcept is used to prevent organ transplant rejection. Now, it's not something you would have prescribed in the ER or something I would have prescribed as a, as a hospital-based cardiologist. But we often would see people on that who received an organ transplant or maybe they had some kind of an autoimmune condition, so they're put on Cellcept. The generic name for Cellcept is uh, a mycophenolate. It is mycophenolic acid, myco meaning mold, mycophenol (laughs) coming. It is a mold mycotoxin that was discovered in 1933 to be an immunosuppressant. And they put it into a capsule for people to swallow to suppress the immune system. So what does that mean when people are have high levels of mycophenolic acid in their in their body and and we would test that in their urine if they're excreting high levels of mycophenolic acid because they're being exposed what is that doing to their immune system yeah <laughs> nothing good <laughs> and nothing nothing good 
not unless they have the organ transplant where it'd be i guess theoretically beneficial for that person but for the 99.99 percent of people who are walking around without organ transplants what is it doing to your immune system what does that mean in the face of uh the covid diagnosis what does it mean as your immune system modulates cancer cells or how your immune system interacts with uh, endothelial cells and intimal cells and macrophages and foam cells inside the vasculature. It's it's really fascinating. And um, again, I think it re really represents uh, an amazing area of study that, that there is some data on. I've got a 45-minute presentation on this on my website. But I, I guess if, you know, if people are listening, if they're looking for a good take-home point, please check yourself for mold. Check your home. Check your environment. Don't believe, test, don't guess. Don't believe that you don't have it. I don't care if your house is brand. I don't care if you moved into it yesterday. Uh, because you, know, you're, you, know, you live in Ohio. I'm from Chicago. Uh, I live life in uh, Colorado and Arizona. Homes are built out of wood. And a home that is made out of wood will have mold until proven otherwise. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's something I've learned about a little bit just in the last few years about mold. I'm actually going to have another test done myself because I'm I'm damn sure I have mold in my house. I'm sure I do because uh, and have you are there um, companies you recommend for testing your house? And do you recommend patients? Do you do any testing for patients like visual contrast you know, tests or like urine samples for mold, mold and things like that? That, that's uh, that's a great question, and thank you for asking that. And that really helps to establish you as as knowledgeable about these things. So you talk about you know visual contrast, uh, you know you know testing and other uh, modalities, uh, and really you know you can check for other markers of inflammation uh, as well that can be consistent with mold. But I think ultimately where I'm at right now is that I'm doing urine mycotoxin testing, so we're testing the urine for mycotoxins, which means if they're in your urine, it means they're getting into your body through you know through lungs. Uh, you know, through your breathing and through, you know, through uh, eating it. Um, and then the other thing is, yeah, testing the home. And my favorite test is what's called the Swiffer test or the Ermi test where you collect dust samples yep. and you do it that way and you check. So there's a lot of different ways to test for mold. And I suggest doing them and doing them all if need be. Yep. Uh, and then again, once you do find that, or if you need help, yeah, you can get a quality inspection. My favorite company is called Yes, We Inspect. Uh, I think they are the best uh, countrywide uh, at that. And they're really working on putting boots in the, on, on the ground everywhere because uh, it could be problematic. And then again, once you find it, well, now it's a matter of, okay, what can you do to uh, remedy the situation? Sometimes there's a smoking gun that can be fixed. Sometimes mold is in the fabric of the home. It's just, again, when That's you right. have a home that was constructed in Chicago and it's made out of wood, therefore the wood was subjected to the elements. And yes, some of those, you know, wood can be treated and things like that. And even to the best of those abilities to treat the wood, it's not going to make it mold proof. It can, it can limit it. But again, it, it, the stakes are too high. It, it is too damaging of what mold mycotoxins can do. And again, this is in the literature. So uh, ultimately, some people, if they're sick enough, if they're toxic enough, if they've got enough of a brain fog, if they've got enough disease, if they've got cancer, um, they may have to move out of the home. Uh, air purifiers are, are a, uh, a secondary measure. And then detoxification strategies, whether it is our, our binders uh, that, you know, that people can use, uh, sauna, uh, other, other methods of improving detoxification, those could be useful. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask about next, because I know there's a whole host of treatment options anywhere from something like, like you said, binders and colchicine and stuff to whole detox programs and there's a lot of things there. And I, I use sauna regularly. Uh, I have a red light and we have an air filter, but I know we still have mold in the house and I'm going to get it. I need to get it tested ASAP, but uh, that's my goal for the next quarter is to rip out our old carpeting and uh, get everything tested and treated. And <laughs> it's, well, everywhere. I mean, it, it's everywhere. It, it, it's ever, and it is, it is a big deal. Mold is a big deal and uh, it, it can be very, uh, very expensive. Uh, it can lead to a lot of strife, uh, you know, in between families, you know, yeah. typically it, it's the woman who's suffering and the man says he feels fine. Now this is the same man who's, who's uh, you know, he's on, he's on lipid uh, drugs and he's on, uh, and he's had a heart attack and he's got erectile dysfunction and uh, he's, he's 30 pounds overweight and he's got metabolic syndrome, but he feels fine. Uh, the woman doesn't. For some reason, uh, you know, and I, I, I have definitely many different theories on why women are more effective than men. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, um, it's it's something that we need to up our game on, that we need to understand. 
uh, a lot more. But I think, you know, for you and I, as we kind of look at the patients we've seen over the years who, uh, you know, wow, it seems like that person was eating really well. And yeah, they got sleep and they got sunshine and, you know, they were physically active and they practiced yoga, meditation, Tai Chi, yet they still had an event. Uh, there was still some environmental toxin that affected them. And I believe mold is, is again, at the top of that list. Uh it really, it really helps explain a lot of the complicated cases. You know, if I may say one more point too, because I think this is probably something that impacts you in the in the great state of Ohio. Which, incidentally, I was born because my father was the first DO at the Cleveland Clinic in 1970. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, my father was the first DO at the Cleveland Clinic, first DO at University of Iowa. He was the fifth DO in the American College of Cardiology. But um, uh, Lyme uh, disease. Mm. Uh, uh, is is not necessarily uh, quite as uh, you know classically endemic in Ohio, maybe as it is in Wisconsin, and certainly in Lyme, Connecticut, where where it came from. But Lyme um, is 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 an infection from uh, a tick bite that leads to a parasite called uh, Borrelia, and that could lead to acute Lyme. And I've seen acute Lyme carditis in my when I was in training, specifically in Chicago, uh, or or chronic Lyme, as they would say. But it never really sat well with me, this chronic Lyme diagnosis, because I believe that we came from the ticks. We came from the environment. We came from the outdoors, right? Our bodies have immune systems that are built to withstand a tick bite. So why would people get sick from a tick bite? Never really made sense. It's because they are immunosuppressed because they live in mold. So either mold is causing all of their symptoms and not Lyme at all, or mold is inhibiting the body's immune system's ability to clear the... uh, Borrelia and Bartonella and other co-infections. So that ultimately is the issue. And the issue, of course, would not be chronic antibiotics, which never again sat well with me. Uh, And of course, mainstream medicine does not believe in the chronic Lyme diagnosis, but alternative medicine does. uh, And I believe they would use therapies, which I think uh, may have been helpful to people, but again, not going after the cause. And the cause is because they are immunocompromised from living in mold. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that because it's it's and it's uh, timely too. Because actually, not too far from me, um, there's I've I've heard of a, a lot of people in my network, not a lot, but a handful who all of a sudden they oh they've got Lyme, they've got Lyme, they've got Lyme. I'm hearing it a lot. I've heard it a lot this summer, which is that I, I did the same thing. You know, I kind of scratched my head. I thought that just doesn't sound right. Like, and maybe it's true, but again, why? You know, did you get did you get the shot? Is your immune system down? Do you have mold? You know, all you know, who knows? You know, but. Um, but yeah, the whole chronic thing, again, it kind of, kind of like the whole people who have had mono or other viruses years ago and they're still suffering. I'm like, well, it's probably because there's something else going on. They have some underlying immune defect, adrenal you know, problem, uh, immune system deficiency, uh, nutrient deficiency, something. Because like you said, our bodies are meant to handle that. So what there's something else there, I guess, is the bottom line. <laughs> you got to dig a little deeper. Well, and that's the beauty of you know doing what you and I do is that we take the time and the effort to dig a lot deeper on all these different things and really get to the you know to the root cause. As a conventional cardiologist in mainstream medicine, right? I mean, I you know it's a five ten minute office visit, and you're just trying to identify the problem as quickly as possible and address that problem with a pharmaceutical or a procedure, all while you're trying to make extra money and see more patients. Uh, in the emergency room, right? I mean, you could have a waiting from, you know, full of people and your job as an ER doctor is to make sure that person is not dying. Uh, and if they are dying, you know, get them stabilized until, yeah. you know, in, until other things can be done. Uh, you know, the job of the ER physician is not to sit there and take the history of like, okay, well, let's talk about what was going on before your heart attack. Let's right. talk about your stress. Right. Let's talk about your lifestyle. Let's talk about all the, you know, did you get the shot? I mean, you know, so uh, a very good friend of mine from my medical training, uh, he's like, um, he's like, well, I, you know, I'm an, I'm an ER doctor. I see a lot of people and, you know, I haven't met anybody who's had a negative reaction to the shot or any other shots, you know, prior. And I said, have you ever asked people their history based on that? And, and the answer invariably is going to be no you know you never ask people what happened just before the heart attack you're just like i okay i'm identifying that you're having a heart attack and my job is to give you xyz pharmaceuticals and we call them the cath lab and i get you stabilized in order to transfer you to that place uh and and that's where kind of the job of that doctor ends and again that's a very important job i'm not i'm not diminishing that but uh, at the same time, you know, you know, uh, you know, doctor, ER doctor, don't, you know, admonish, uh, you know, diminish what we're trying to do over here in order to keep them out of your emergency room. Uh, that's a great answer. I appreciate that. What have, I'm assuming you probably treated, you've had a lot of patients you've taken care of and uh, who've had mold. Have you, there, and obviously this is a whole conversation in and of itself, but like cliff notes, 
what have you found to be successful in terms of helping them in terms of getting rid of the mold or treating them, you know? Yeah, you know, again, that whole concept, eat well, it will think well. So if we think about, you know, eating uh, uh, organs or taking organ supplements, if we think about, take, you know, eating seafood or seafood supplements, like those are going to be the great place to start. Uh, of course, getting rid of things, uh, you know, such as alcohol, uh, artificial things, you know, again, you're getting, you're cleaning up the diet, uh, you know, the sun, the sleep, all these physical activity things, you know, and, uh, you know, clearing out all the toxins, thinking the right thoughts, believing that you can recover, uh, thinking well is just as important as eating well and, and living well. Uh, so that's, uh, of course, very important. And then, you know, these evidence-based supplements that are known to bind, known to enhance detoxification. And then you mentioned, you know, red light, sauna, they all have a role. I mean, we know that mold mycotoxins are in sweat. It's been tested. They're, they're in the sweat. And why wouldn't they be? I mean, again, yeah. the body's excreting toxins. They will be in the sweat. So you better be sweating. Right. Uh, and uh, do you have to have a sauna to do that? Can you go exercise? Can you go, uh, you know, again, into a very, uh, you know, uh, you know, warm environment and start to sweat? Uh, all that stuff is all going to be beneficial. But uh, the answer is really, you know, get it diagnosed and get it fixed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. And I know, you, you know, you like, I know you've talked about this too, and I'm big on like always addressing the gut, you know, the microbiome. I think it's a an area that's uh, still, we're still learning about, you know, and I think so many people have gut issues and I think it's a, I'm glad you brought that up too, to, to focus attention on that. Like you said, the toxins, the mold, the gut, those are all important things that sometimes get overlooked because there's no quick fix. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a process, you know, so. Well, and, and mold microtoxins, a lot of their toxicity, and again, this is in the literature. So when I do my presentations, I show these, these slides about how one of the first ways that the mold mycotoxins impact the body is through the gut microbiome. So they mm -hmm. damage the gut microbiome because as much as we said, these are our toxins. And if mycophenolic acid destroys bacteria, and that's why they used it as penicillin, and they call it, uh, excuse me, I mean, immunosuppressives or, or um, uh, uh, you know, penicillin, is from penicillium and it destroys that. So if you're taking in, basically, if you're living on penicillin, what, uh, which, which is which is coming from mold, not from a pharmaceutical, but what does it do to your gut microbiome that is proven uh, the mold mycotoxins leading to leaky gut or what's known as intestinal hyperpermeability. That's in the literature, multiple studies. So, uh, and then now once you have the destruction of your gut microbiome, intestinal hyperpermeability, all bets are off. These things get into the body leading to immune system activation, inflammation, oxidative stress, and then ultimately to, to overt sickness. So it, it, mold mycotoxins are definitely tied into the gut microbiome, just as gluten may be and, and plastics and uh, pesticides and glyphosate and everything else. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to uh, start winding it down, be respectful of your time. You've been full of awesome tips and information. I love it. And uh, definitely have the same attitude and thoughts as, as I do. Any um any other, I know you've got your, your total programs. I'll let you, you know, I want you to plug those things, but any other actionable tips for our listeners? I know you can't give away your, give away the farm, but any quick, simple things you could recommend to our listeners? No, I mean, I think that ultimately, right. Uh, you know, eating the foods that we've talked about, uh, you know, uh, uh, whether you believe in evolution or the biblical version or a combination thereof, which is my personal belief at this particular time. And our beliefs are always changing and morphing. And I think that's the beauty of doctors like us is that we're just open to new ideas as opposed to very closed minded, which is true of most medical doctors. But, yep. um, uh, you know, first, uh, first, uh, first, there was the darkness and then there was the light which to me is all about circadian rhythms. It's all about sleeping when it's dark and being active and awake when it's light. And when you violate circadian rhythms, you're going to die uh, sooner than later. Uh, and uh, people could listen to us and they're like, wait a second, I can't afford to eat wild salmon roe or swallow your capsules or, you know, take your course or do, you know, uh, and, and even the mold aspect. They're like, okay, wait, I can't afford to do this or this or this or my loved one. Okay. Um, sleep is free. Mm -hmm. Uh sunshine and being outdoors is free yep. physical activity movement is free uh meditation uh gratitude mindfulness those are really good strategies that are totally free affordable to anyone and everyone around the world and the more we practice those the better so understand that your skin is a solar panel embrace the power of the sun smart sun you know, you and I, Ohio, me growing up in Chicago, you know, we went down to South Florida for spring break and got burnt. That was bad. 
But sunshine is good. Embrace the power of the sun. Increase vitamin D. Increase nitric oxide. Produce melatonin, which is another miracle molecule. Uh, so hopefully those are just some simple strategies for people to uh, to follow. Awesome, man. Thank you. One last question I always like to ask everybody. Are there any, uh, any good non-medical books that you're reading right now? Ooh, non-medical books that I'm uh, reading right now. Um, well, I, I, I love books that have to do with, uh, with freedom. I love books that have to do, again, with our you know, freedom of choice, freedom to decide. Um, one book that I recently finished is called The Creature from Jekyll Island. That is an amazing book, really, that starts with kind of like the founding of the Federal Reserve in the early 1900s. And I think when you when you read a book like that and you look at it with the you look at society and what's happening right now with the lens of there are people who are trying to control it all. They're trying to control it because of greed and money that's that would obviously that would be obvious but could you and this is not from that book but could one comprehend the idea that the people who pull all the strings in the world they do it because they're bored they have they have everything they have they have all the money they've got all the power and when you have all the money and the power they're um uh philosophically uh, this this leads to to boredom of the of people when when it, it, I mean this is again this has been studied that for the people who have everything that they look uh, for something different they look they look for something for a dopamine surge right. and if you can't get dopamine surges from uh, from power and from you know or, or, or from money. Then, then you, th- yeah, then you want some excitement in your life. What is the excitement? If you can afford every car, if you can afford every trip, if you can afford every luxury you can ever think of, what what do you do for that dopamine hit? And this is where that comes in. You you set the world on fire and you see what the results are. So I, I don't mean to go too crazy, but you asked and that's my thoughts. No, I love it, man. And you're spot on. I think you and I could talk for hours about this because I'm the same way and uh I've not read that book, but I've heard G. Edward Griffin talk many times. And I'm familiar with it. And uh, yeah, as you said, it's a greed and power. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of idiocy going on in the world. And I think you're spot on. That's a good way to look at it, too. And it's that's, an, that's another aspect to look at. I love it. So, yeah, I think you and I are on the same page there. <laughs> so Awesome. Awesome. And we'll plug your website and uh, feel free to say whatever you want to say about your uh, your page or your, your social media, anything else. Yeah. I mean, listen, if anyone who's interested in seeing me, you know, it's come over to naturalheartdoctor.com. Myself, there's another cardiologist there, Dr. James uh, Kanneller. Uh, I've got two naturopathic doctors who work for me and I've got uh, a chiropractor in the office, a team of health coaches. And, uh, you know, listen, I can only say, Eric, you know, hopefully, you know, doctors like you and I are doing right in the world and we're doing good things in the world and and the rewards will come uh, to the people who do who do right. Uh, I hope, you know, again, that if people are suffering out there with cardiovascular concerns, you know, come come talk to us, at least get that second opinion. Yeah. Uh, you know, you asked about, you know, again, like our non, you know, uh, our non-medical book that, you know, we're reading. And again, I think it's just knowledge is power. So get that second opinion. Uh, you can agree with me, disagree with me. But again, just um, you know, long, long gone are the days of the 1970s where the doctor's God and it's my way or the highway. Um, you know, I mean, you know, get that second opinion and, and then make it a good decision for yourself. Awesome. Well said. Well, Dr. Jack Wilson, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the podcast and uh, maybe we'll get you back on again in the future. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All righty.